Shalom everyone, welcome to another episode of The Upper Room, uh, really grateful for you uh, for joining us. Um, we've got a really interesting uh, subject, uh, it's been a long time coming, um, but uh, yeah, God's timing's perfect, so um, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, really, uh, really interesting uh, couple of uh, topics that we've got, and uh, I'm really blessed and fortunate to be joined by my good sister Hazel. Shalom, how are you doing? Shalom, I'm well, thank you. It's, it's, it's been a while coming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has been a while we've been trying to do this, but like you said, it all seems to have fell into place nicely today. So, I think um, just uh, just off the top, uh, we're going to kick off with the topic of the, the Nazarite vow, mm-hmm. which I believe, um, I can't remember the Torah portion specifically, uh, I think I believe it was in the book of Numbers, and uh, I think it was at that point uh, we had a, a conversation and thought it'd be good to um, uh, good to get into because it's a really intriguing uh, topic I think, um, and I like to uh, deal with people directly who have experience and 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 deal with these things in real time, and I just thought it'd be a really good um, uh, beneficial conversation to have uh, around the the subject. So. Um, just for a kickoff, uh, how were you initially led into uh, into taking the vow, and, and and what 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 is actually what pertains to the, to the vow uh, mm. as, as as a definition? Okay, so this was back when I was living in Wales. Um, I was reading through the Torah cycle, and we got to Numbers uh, six. I can't remember the name of the actual. Uh, Parasha. But basically, I was at the time going to house fellowship, visiting sometimes with um, my friend Aslan and her family. Um, and when it was read, it said that like either a man or woman could take this vow. And it's interesting how we both afterwards talked about the fact that we felt, ah, oh, that's interesting because I could take the vow as a woman, you know. Um, and we both felt led to take a vow um she actually took the vow like before me even though it would have been nice to get together because I was like I wanted to do further research to make sure this was something I could um sustain because I understood from my my learning that you know a vow is a very serious thing you're taking on a responsibility and if you can't do it it's best not to take the vow right because otherwise like you might end up sinning by breaking the vow. Right, yeah. So I took some time. I talked to my mom. I did some research. And, um, yeah, I believe that it was good for me to take it. Um, as far as what it, what, it, um, what it includes, I mean, it's all in number six, but basically I could say it off the top of my head because, I mean, uh, I, I know because obviously I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was supposed to do. That'd be a problem. Um, so I'm not allowed to take um, anything pertaining to the grape. So I can't eat grapes. I can't eat raisins, sultanas, um, even a grape seed. I couldn't eat, which is actually grape seed oil is in a lot of things. Basically, right, okay. it can be in a lot of things. You can't verify whether it's not um, because there's an ingredient called monodiglyceride of fatty acids. It's in nearly every bread and cake there is. And they use different oils to make that. But one of the oils they can use is grapeseed oil. Right. So I couldn't 
be sure it was in there, but I also can't be sure it's not in there. Okay. So then that, that meant that, uh, yeah, I stopped eating a lot of foods when I took the vow. But also um, just to cover all of the things, um, can't drink alcohol. Now there's a bit of a, there's a difference of opinion in Judaism. They say it's like you can only not drink wine. Right. Um, but you can drink other spirits and other drinks like that. But I did my own like, thorough research into the Hebrew words that were used. And if I remember right, like yayin is wine in Hebrew. And then you have another word, shecher, I think it is. And that means like any intoxicating drink. Okay. And the word here used was not with shecher, which is like any intoxicating drink. So from my own like interpretation of the Hebrew, I was like, it doesn't mean that I can just not drink wine and then drink every other substance which kind of made sense because like otherwise what's kind of the point because some of the point is that you abstain from you know drinking and you spend more time serious and and dedicated to the almighty's plans for your life um the other thing was that you can't come near a dead body so obviously in the torah anyone that studied it um knows that you obviously become unclean from touching dead people but the nazareth is not allowed to become unclean by touching or come into near proximity yeah i I was gonna ask you said about um yeah to come near or is it to be near or to touch like or is there like a general proximity like yeah it's it's a little bit ambiguous in that way definitely you cannot touch a dead body um i think from the torah on uncleanness is if you're under the same roof okay as a dead person you become contaminated by that um so in the open field it's a bit more difficult to tell like if someone's just be dead over there and i'm in the open field maybe that's okay um but if i'm definitely in the same house and someone just dies then i'm i become unclean. yeah i'd like to think it was probably slightly easier to identify like what bread you could eat as opposed to whether there's a, <laughs> a dead body in the premises but um yeah yeah sorry it can it can be a bit more complicated though because we live in like attached houses right okay yeah so it's kind of a bit like are you under the same roof as the other houses or not but uh yeah and also i can't go into a lot of museums because there's usually sepulchers in them with dead people and that'd be under the same roof right okay so it does get quite all of this gets quite technical and that's why you really have to make sure like before you take a vow that you really know what you're getting into um, and with that, has there ever been like a, a case where you've inadvertently like gone against a vow, or has it been a case where you're actually that that cautious that you you know you, you do your research prior to, or ha- have you inadvertently gone, oh gosh, I, I shouldn't have gone into that place or eaten that food, or I mean, ha- how has that sort of worked out for mm, you? Mm. Yeah, so. Thankfully, I've not um, I've not had a problem with any like contamination from dead people, right. um, which is very good because if I was, that's very complicated. Being we get into that later, maybe. But anyway, um, yeah. as far as the foods, yes, I, I believe that this is why there's a sin offering at the end of the vow. Um, this is also something discussed in by the sages and everything because some people say it's a sin to take the vow, but mostly I think the truth is that. When you take this vow, the likelihood is that even inadvertently you're going to break it. Right, okay. Because I've been very careful and yet there's been a couple of accidents as far as food items. 
Um, one being a pickled beetroot that I... But I didn't swallow it, so maybe you could argue I didn't <laughs> actually break it. Right, but okay. But as soon as I tasted it, I was like, oh, this is pickled. And then... Because I can't have vinegar. That's another thing I didn't mention. can't have any type of vinegar and I can't cut my hair. Right. There's... Uh, th- there's a lot going on even just in that little uh, bit so you mentioned there um we don't have to necessarily get into it but that the notion of there are some sages or or, or those who are studious who would who would say that it's it may even be adding to torah or it's the torah may not be viewed as sufficient if you feel the need to do the vow but that, i think that's neither here nor there um you touched on something that was um uh, i was genuinely intrigued this was my only personal uh, intrigue was regards to the um yeah the sin offering at the end of the um at the end of the vow so in my little head i'm thinking right so i've done the vow for a, for a period of time i've set myself apart and then i can go to the temple do the sin offering and then i've been uh, cleared from that now obviously with the temple not being in place uh you don't have that final so I, from what i understand a lot of people would then take that vow like onto the rest of their days um how uh yeah how do you feel about that or how have you reconciled that is this something where you feel like you could um step away from maybe because there's more of a symbolic uh, element to it like how have you found that to be reconciled Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah this is one of the things even though i did um due diligence almost in 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 researching what the vow included and everything like that there was a a couple of things that I didn't realize until after I took the vow, and this was um, this was partly like, you know, on my friend Caroline's side, she had people that she was looking to for advice, and they were like, "Oh yeah, it's fine." And then later on, he kind of um talked with some Messianic rabbi, and they ended up discovering that this was a vow that without the temple standing, it is believed that you can't end the vow because of um because of a line it says in in the numbers which uh, i'll just um so you can you can begin it but you can't end it yeah because basically the way you would end the vow is you would um do certain sacrifices shave your head and you'd burn the hair in the fire under the sacrifice right and it says um you know, after all this is done and all of the, the wave offerings and um, after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Which that line there, which seems, it can be easily be missed, seems like, okay, the Nazarite, even though they've fulfilled the time that they said they would vow, unless these things are done, they maybe can't then drink wine still. Right, they okay. Can actually continue as they were before. So when I discovered this, I was like, okay, um, and I did my own research and basically, yeah, the opinion of, most scholars is that without the temple standing, and I know this is kind of a controversial subject for messianic uh, believers, um, but without temple standing, you cannot finish the vow, so it becomes a lifetime vow. Right. Okay. Um, which there has been rabbis that have taken it and and had a lifetime vow because of that belief. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's also another interesting thing for a woman is that you know if she gets married on the first day of her marriage, her husband has the choice to annul or um, substantiate the vow. Oh, really? So, yeah, that is 
I didn't know that at all. So yeah, it can be annulled or when you say substantiate, does that mean he takes it on from her? No, or? no, that would just mean like he's confirming, okay, yes, you oh, can right. continue having this vow. Oh, okay. Oh, to sub- yeah, yeah, of course. Mm. Um, all right, that's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And, and is that the same for a man if he's in a... No, he no, because in the Torah it only talks about like a woman if she's in her father's house, or if she gets married, then that becomes a protocol where her vow can be overridden. Right. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, again, this is just my opinion. I, I think, um, irrespective of uh, whether there's a temple or not, I, I think to to be um, to take the vow. Uh, a Nazarite, I believe, is to be set apart, is to be separate. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who's willing to take that 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 step to um, set themselves apart in a way, um, uh, I've got nothing but respect for, and um, and uh, I think it's a great way. It, even any one of those components, any one of them facets, to do that as a as an offering or a vow unto the Lord is um, yes, yeah, and it's an admirable thing, and. Um, probably far more uh, admirable than what I could uh, do myself but um so you touched on those different facets like how was that um was there like an adjustment period um either like physically and or spiritually where you know it was either really difficult or really tough or you thought gosh like I've bitten off quite a lot here or how did that sort of work out for you overall um it wasn't too bad to be honest with you um it, it did make life uh, I, I just want to sorry just to answer before I answer that question as well I wanted yeah. to just mention on the the intention of taking the vow I think it's important to mention the intention is not just to um seem holier or be holier than anyone else it's actually like whenever someone took an answer they were separating themselves to a particular um say I believe Paul took and as I vowed, it was to separate himself to ministering to the Gentiles. Right, okay. Um, so I took that vow to se- actually with the intention of separating myself to um, for preparation to be a, a good wife and a good mother. Right. So it's very interesting how that worked because, like, I'll get to your question. Because when I took the vow, there was so many foods I couldn't eat that 90% of processed food I couldn't eat, you know? And I'm not sure whether I realized all of this straight away. I think there was some things that came with time that I was like, oh, this is another thing that I've got to abstain from, you know, because of uncertainties with like processing and ethanol being used to extract things. Um, so I did kind of learn a little bit more as I went along. And it ended up being that I had to like prepare so much more of my food. Um, so I learned a lot about, I mean, I kind of always was like into baking, but not so much cooking, I suppose, like meals. So I learned a lot about that. And also began eating like tons more whole foods, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just processed foods. So what happened in that is that although it was, it was more like had to have more discipline and put more effort and time into doing this, not only was it like teaching me you know, the coloring arts and how to be, you know, effective kind of in the house, as housekeeping and all those sorts of things, um, but it also kind of my energy levels went like really much better. Oh, wow. Like the improvement in my energy just was like, wow, that's like incredible how much what you eat can affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, that it led me to being interested in nutrition because also I was reading like the labels on everything. Right. And even though 
and all of the ingredients were, say, um, forbidden for me as a Nazarite, I was like, what is that? <laughs> what is that in our food? <laughs> like, why am I eating potassium sorbate, you know? Um, so that led me into a whole interest in um, studying nutrition. So it's kind of, yeah, interesting how that's worked. That's, uh, that's um, a- a- again, quite often there's um, a lot of protection in uh, in. Uh, the father's instruction where it is actually for our benefit and it's not I think we can easily fall into the trap of seeing things as punitive when it's actually quite like redemptive and and gives us a lot more freedom like you say mm. like you feel like oh, I'm I'm um encountering a more of a depth of uh, discipline and and self-control but yet I'm actually gaining more energy and more sense of freedom uh, uh within within my body um w- with that being said did did was probably a slightly ambiguous question in itself but did you was there any kind of spiritual impact in terms of um i don't know just in your relationship with the father or or was it um is it not quite as uh, black and white as that mm. i mean that's an interesting question i i can't answer that with a lot of certainty as far as like how it impacted my spirituality um just because like I was born again before I took this vow and I was already kind of on that path. Um, but I do think that, yeah, like exercising self-discipline, it was helpful in. Um, and perhaps being like as well, I kind of like to think that, you know, our prayers are more effective when we're fasting. But what I realized is uh, as a Nazi, you're always under fast. You're not fasting like completely, right. but you're fasting from so many foods that it's kind of like you're always fasting. So it kind of... I think does give you more. It did feel like I was more spiritually advanced, maybe or mature in that the sense of, you know, because of the continued, um, I won't do that, I won't have that. So kind of like that, that feeling of when you're fasting and praying, being more consistent throughout your your day and life. So that was something. Um, yeah, but it wasn't like huge, huge difference, right? But would you would you say like overall it, it like we touched on the sense of freedom like when you're exercising a degree of self control over that uh, scale, um, has it been? I guess I guess the question is: Has it been fulfilling for you overall? Is it something that you're you're pleased to have taken taken on? I'm not saying recommended. I'll, I will get onto that question. But yeah. is it something you you've seen uh, um, benefit? and uh, a fulfillment in in taking that Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i think one of the things i should mention is that like i grew up observing torah um so i already grew up keeping the kosher laws i already grew up keeping the sabbath keeping the feasts so those things were like routine for me right so i think for a lot of people it's funny because they come into this walk and they start eating kosher and that's what makes them realize about how we need to eat clean and we need to pure but for me i'd already been doing that so this was the kind of next level up that I was prepared for because of my upbringing. Um, so I think for some people would find it overwhelming, the level of, uh, of just observance, maybe. But I think, um, do you have a question? Can you just remind me of your question? Yeah, but is it fulfilling for is you it personally? Fulfilling, yeah. right, yes. Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I when I look at what the father's done through it, I do believe, even though I've had retaliation from people in the messianic movement about how 
this vow isn't even valid. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my friend Gaz and we had, we had some serious conversations and it was, it was difficult, you know, when you're already um, under a lot of strain to actually observe the vow you've got into, realising that it's probably a lifetime vow, and then you've got people coming at you as if you're wrong for taking it. That was a bit, that was a bit difficult at that point. Um, but when I, I, where I was like, okay, I know, I'm hearing people, but I know I can see the fathers um, working through this in my life, you know? Like, just the fact that I learned so much about the food and then, you know, I was on holiday and I was I was having like a, a camping and hiking and spiritual experience where he was like speaking to me. And then, you know, I picked up this magazine and I was reading it because I was on my holiday. Normally I wouldn't read a magazine because I don't have time. <laughs> and then, you know, this this nutritional therapy double homer is there and I'm like you know and then I go into that and that's you know now what I'm studying because that's what I believe now I want to do as my career and I, I knew I wanted to do higher education but I just didn't know what because if I didn't know that I was passionate about something enough I might not actually see it through is what I thought you know so I was kind of waiting for the right motivation and opportunity and I believe that this is what he's led me to um so in that way, I can see him like steering in my life, and it may seem like a small thing, but uh, I can say this is um, this vow has prepared me so much for when he does um, bring me to the man that he wants me to marry and the children that he wants me to have. It has prepared me, you know, so much um, to be a good mother, and also like understanding nutrition to then you know be feeding them what I should be feeding to raising them right. So like. I believe there's been a lot of benefits. There's, don't get me wrong. There's been times where it's been, it's been tough, you know, like especially when I'm on holiday and it's like I have to think about what I'm going to eat. I have to think about what the food I'm going to take. I can't just like be on so care fly, and yeah. carefree, like you know. Um, but like I say, also the benefits of eating like this have been so much that I think even if my vow ended tomorrow my life has still changed dramatically. I wouldn't just go back to eating pizza and <laughs> everything else that I ate before, you know? Praise yeah. Um, mm. That's, um, yeah, I'm not even going to try and, uh, what's the word, like, I just think it's very, you, I just have a lot of respect and admiration for somebody who's willing to, to, to do that and uh, takes far more uh, self-control and discipline than what, what I currently have. So, um, yeah, I think irrespective of, like, doctrine or theology, like I try to remain as um, respectful of, of what people are led to do um, within the realms of scripture. And we're all at different points of um, perspective and understanding. Nobody has the, the full, you know, the full uh, truth, uh, as it were. So um, that's why I was, I, I was led to go in, to have this conversation, because I think it's important to actually like bear that in mind and to, to actually... Um, I don't know. I think it, it's important that we can have differences of theology or how we see scriptures, but how we actually um, encounter one another and how we share like our ideas and our interpretations, because um, our words are like really strong. Um, you know, there's life and death and, and the power of the tongue. So mm. I think it's easy to forget that, you know, we get caught up in a, in a doctrine or what we see and we say, oh, no, you're wrong. And it's like, no, we've got people's lives and people's like emotional investment and, and spiritual application in this so um yeah now um 
you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Is there, um, I, I wouldn't say blankly, do you recommend doing this? Because I think that's too contrite a question. But like, what, uh, what, um, what context, what parameters do you think would be healthy indicators that this is, this could be something that uh, you would be led to? Obviously, like, the spirit would lead an individual to do that. But are there any indications or like uh, requisites that you think might be good if, if you're thinking about taking this on yourself? Mm. Um, I have to answer that question in a roundabout way. I think just to say that I've seen different people who have taken the Nazarite vow and different levels of seriousness in that. And I think it's very important that this is taken very seriously. Um, it's not something where you take the vow and then tomorrow you're having a, a drink and then you're back on the vow. It's not a diet, you know, it's not a it's not a game. It's it, this is you're committing yourself to this. And the Torah actually says kind of you're binding yourself with chains. Right. That is kind of the, the idiom that it uses when you're taking a vow. You're binding yourself with chains. Your words are being spoken. Adonai is hearing those words and he's holding you to it. He will hold you to what you vowed to him. And if you break it, I fear for people who do break it because I'm like, yes, we, we do have a merciful God, but he doesn't appreciate us, you know, saying we're going to do something. Even saying it, saying it is one thing, but vowing it is another. You know, if I say I'm going to, yes, Lord, I'll try and do this, that's different than, Lord, I vow that I'm going to do this. Right. You know, because if you say, oh, I'll, I'll try and do this, and, you know, that's maybe something you can do if you think and then tomorrow you change your mind, oh, I'm going to go back to drinking, you know? Yeah. But with a vow, I think it's much more serious than that. And I also think that, you know, there's this whole issue of can the person say, you know, back in the time where the Torah is written, a person could say, oh, I'll vow for a month to, to keep the Nazarite standard. And then they could just finish it after a month. Whereas now... I don't actually believe that that can happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we maybe have seen people take a Nazarite vow for however long and then complete that Nazarite vow. But then what I fear is, like, they think they finished it, but in the eyes of God, is that truly how it is? Or are they still under that vow, but they're just continually breaking it? Right. Every time they eat a grape, every time they drink vinegar, every time they drink alcohol, every time they cut their hair, right. are they sinning? Mm-hmm. You know, and is those sins adding up? Yeah. And that's quite heavy to think about. And that is why, like, basically I only recommend this vow if you're sure you can do this for life. Because otherwise I fear that you could be actually just, um, yeah, bringing sin upon yourself. Because, like, say you eat a grape, that's fine, you're good. You know, you're not got anything to worry about. Yeah. Uh, but I eat a grape, then that's a sin. And I've had occasions where accidentally a raisin and a cake and I felt terrible afterwards and I got my knees and I prayed for forgiveness and I believe that you know he, he was merciful in that sense but if I keep just doing it then right. you know it's just I don't think he would appreciate that <laughs> I think it's um I think uh as we grow in the faith and 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 as you said um sister you've been in uh the Torah you've been in this walk for a, for a very long time there are those of us that, uh that you know, have come either from from Christianity or from uh, whatever whatever path. And as you grow and as you begin to appreciate the covenantal nature of of the Father and the covenantal covenantal nature of the faith, 
um, it does become a lot more serious. And as you said, we have a merciful, uh, graceful God, but um, he's not forcing us to do anything. But it does say in the word, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so for me, it's it's um, practicing what it means to actually stand on on the word. And uh, I think there's elements of trust and um, there's uh, foreshadows of the father and how he's uh, truthful and how he stands on his promises and all of these are indicators, indicators of his character and how he, he stands by what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And he gives us the opportunity to, to walk that out in our relationships, whether it be in marriage, whether it be with our children, because ultimately we're pictures of, of the father to our children. And mm-hmm. if we're violating those promises, it's a very, very serious thing. So for me, I, I, I look at those vows in isolation. I say, great, do you know what? If if you're, uh, you know, you're on fire for the Lord, you, you want to make a, a, a dedication, um, not even necessarily a vow, then yeah, don't, don't, you know, abstain from alcohol for a period of time, as mm-hmm. long as you want, grow your hair, like, I, I think you can do any one of those um, dedications, and I say dedications, because I think you can dedicate yourself and separate yourself, and maybe you don't have to vow that into, you know, for me mm-hmm. personally, the only vow that I would be comfortable taking would be within a, a context of a marriage, um mm. because I, I know my weaknesses and i know where i could potentially fall short so i i think you're absolutely spot on in that you really have need to have like an honest assessment of uh whether you uh, whether you are actually being led by the spirit to to complete this or if it's um a spiritual flex or if it's uh you know out of um an outward uh expression i think there are so many ways in which you could um potentially dedicate or even vow yourself unto god in a way that's pleasing that brings freedom and it isn't uh restrictive to the point of of uh, spiritual detriment so with that segue and we're talking about other ways of dedication and and other ways of of serving and uh walking fruitfully when we had this conversation uh, initially i was like oh we, we need to have a chat about the nazarite vow because i think it's brilliant but and you said but I, i'd like to talk about almsgiving mm. i was like yeah i yeah because it's in the word we're told to do it um and it's something that i know is on your heart so it would be really great just to get into uh the topic of arms giving what it means to you and what you've seen in the scriptures and in the word and, and what you feel led to share so i'm gonna hand it over to you and we we can we can just roll with with that mm. yeah sure first of all i just want to say it's a great point about um like you know we're made in the image of god so it's like he he says what he says and he always doesn't go back on his word you know he's always right. truthful he is truth he is the standard of truth so yeah i think whenever like um we're doing that we've got to remember that that's he wants us to be like he is so in that yeah to be like our yes is yes and our no is no and that's um can be hard for us i would say one thing before we move on as well that you're right in the sense of um if someone's led to, you know, go further in this walk, you don't necessarily have to take a Nazarite vow, but maybe even if you're led to take a vow, you could take a vow that isn't a Nazarite vow that includes something like abstaining from something. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that in itself is uh, a little bit complicated because some people, like, scholarly have said that if you vow to abstain from alcohol, you're default taking a Nazarite vow. <laughs> so that, right. can, that can be a bit difficult. But I suppose you could... Um, you could just say between you and the Lord, I'm going to 
I intend to stay to off to alcohol stay for off. now, you yeah, know, yeah. like for a season. And then you wouldn't have the problem of like the temple not being there and can you actually finish the vow and all those things. So that is a way um, to do it, yeah. And I think it's important to question our intention when we're doing these things as well because maybe some people doing it because um, they've had alcoholism in the past. I know that can be an issue for some people and I'm right. really grateful that that wasn't, you know, like me giving an alcohol wasn't that hard a thing because I didn't use it a lot. Um, do, you th- do you think there's potential for somebody who is um, recovering from alcoholism coming across this and going, oh, this is a great, I think this is the one where I could, for me, it, it'd be like um, you've had a, a colourful sexual past and you go, do you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna take a vow of celibacy. Mm. It's like, mm. is that really what, like, is the best thing to do or do you j- are you just, like, doing some... Uh, joining some dots that may not necessarily be so i, I understand there, there there may be those who say oh well, i'm called to p- celibacy it's like well do you struggle with certain things because if you do mm. chances are you're not called to celibacy because the law will empower you in a way that's like supernatural to to be there i think you'll know if you're called to that so is it, do you, i guess yeah is there is there a potential for somebody to make that link yeah i think definitely i i even know I've seen that kind of like, you know, people can have backgrounds of drink and then be like, oh, I'm going to take this vow and this is going to solve my problem. But like, right. is that really the best way? Because you can go from one extreme to another and can you cope with that other extreme? You know, like sometimes you may be weak and then you're trying to bodybuild. Um, maybe you need to just train a little bit first before right, you yeah. dive in the deep end. Because the deep end is the deep end and you're, you're there. Like, so... um. I can see why people, and it's, it's it's admirable their intention to be like, I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to completely, you know, commit. Um, and there is a level sometimes when we do commit, then we have to hold ourselves to it. Like people get gym passes so that they've spent that money so right. they do commit to it <laughs> and not just like, oh, I might do, you know. like. Um, but yeah, it's got to be careful with that. Like I would say train yourself little by little maybe if you want to do it, say, okay, for a week, between me and the Lord, that's what I'm going to do and see how it goes so you're not just being like going from one end to the other extreme um yeah and so that's what i would say like if people are inspired by that they could do that i think there'll only be a few people that are called to take this vow like in the bible we only see a few people we see samson who definitely took the vow i mean he didn't even take the vow it was technically just a vow put upon him him, you know so that raises his own technicalities with what he actually had to, because um, I could get into discussion about that, like because he was obviously warring and he was killing people, yeah. and so his contact with dead people seems to be an issue. But then maybe because he didn't actually take the vow, yeah, there was a leeway in that. I did one. I mean, this is the day. This is just. Uh, I did actually watch the movie not so long ago. I've watched it many and read it many times, but it suggested that he kind of violated each of, of the vows, like as he went. And mm. I was like, I don't know if that's actually scriptural, but I was like, oh, well, he did. He did have to get all of the uh, the uniforms of the Philistines. He did have his hair cut. Um, I think there was a suggestion that he he, he took wine, but I, I, I don't know. That was in the film, so don't, yeah. <laughs> don't quote me on that. But no, I watched the movie and I, I could see the point with like the contact with dead people, but... It doesn't record him drinking alcohol. It doesn't record... Well, yes, he had his hair cut, but it was um, inflicted upon him. He didn't... He didn't make that choose. choose to cut right, it, you okay. know? I mean, 
yes, you gave the information to Delilah, which you could kind of argue was was helping, aiding her in that. Um, but no, I don't think he actually... And I think there is a an argument to be said that because he didn't actually utter the vow, the vow was put upon him from birth, even right. from the womb, that there was a kind of a vagueness to how he could be around dead people and not just completely annihilate his vow. Because you know, we see like when his haircut, his vow definitely was ceased in some way, like his strength left him. Right. Yet he was all the time in contact with dead people and his, his strength didn't leave him the right. purpose for his vow to being a savior to israel and having that strength didn't stop he was still under that kind of commission of the vow right so i don't think that yeah i think that was an unusual case um but yeah and we see also samuel um again from from birth it was said that no razor should come upon his head right um he was a very unique because he, he was prophet all his life and he was very you know i mean he was this is another thing about nazareth it enabled them to be in the temple with the same degree of of like cleanness as the priests you know, the priests right. could come in and out because they held themselves to a much higher standard of holiness right, okay. than the average person so they could just go into the temple any time the nazareth was the same they could just go into the temple any time because they were not had to fire much from death you know which was a major issue regarding the sanctity of the temple right so that's interesting. Like it was almost like a priestly service. We see this with Samuel; he was raised practically in the temple, yeah, like a like a priest would be. Um, so that was interesting. And then I also believe Paul took a Nazarite vow upon himself because Eric talks about he had a vow and he shaved his head and various things, and he was like for the purpose of being separated. Um, his sole focus being the ministry to the Gentiles after his conversion. Also, some people argue that Yeshua himself took a Nazarite vow. Um, I think if he did, he didn't take it like his whole ministry because we see him drinking wine. Yeah, you know, I think if he did, it was like at the Last Supper where he said, "I'm not going to drink of, the, of this fruit of the, the vine until I'm in my Father's kingdom." And he was giving then, "This is my vow, and that's the fulfillment." Of the end of my vow, right? You yeah, know, yeah. And then it would kind of uh, also only other thing that I can argue against that is where he was given a sponge with vinegar on it. Now, as in Nazareth, you wouldn't consume that. But I've compared the different gospels, and it's sort of like if you put them all together, that he was given the sponge with the vinegar on or the gall, the gall yeah. um, and he tasted of it, and then he he didn't consume it. Right. Which is something as a Nazarite, you taste vinegar, you'd be like, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> good, so I, th- I think it's possible that he, he is under a Nazarite vow right now. And I do wonder sometimes um, how amazing it would be if I'm still a Nazarite vow and he comes back and then he's completing his vow and I'm completing my vow, you know, because of how I believe that the temple would be, would be instituted in the manual reign, which is a whole topic in itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just to say that to close up that topic. Um. Perfect. No. Um. Yeah. Loads. Of, loads to think about. And there was. Um. Uh. There was a few bits that I hadn't considered before, or even heard of. Uh. Particularly with regards to the uh, the annulling and uh, the substantiation of the um of the vow itself. Uh. For for women. Um. Yeah. Really interesting. Um. Yeah. Plenty to plenty to chew on. Um. So yeah, we'll get on to to arms giving and, and what you feel led to share. Um. Because I know it's something that you wanted to get into and um. Yeah, take take it away. Mm. 
So yes, it's interesting how both of these topics came up through um, the reading of the Torah portions, the cycle, you know. Right. Um, obviously, we were in Numbers, and then you were like, oh, this, let's discuss this, and then we were in Deuteronomy, and, um, you know, something I read before, the actual, we came to it in the cycle this year, but then obviously came up, and then it sparked off a whole um, kind of interest in this again. So yeah, I think it's it's really good. I think it's really good, especially in this season, and I can almost see the Father's hand in this, because... I know again there's differences of kind of um opinions on on Judaism on their understanding of things but um this time we're in is called like the 10 days of awe right between uh, Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur the day of um, trumpets and the day of atonement and it's believed specifically it's a a very auspicious time for a lot of repentance obviously um but also a lot of uh, zedekah of acts of charity right um, because it's it's believed that in this in the supernatural, there's a judgment that occurs on Yom Kippur that we are either sealed in the Book of Life for the year, like the year is in, like from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, which I know is another topic. That's another podcast, well. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that period of time, whether you consider that a year or just say it's it's twelve months, you know, in that period of time, you're either sealed in the book of life or not, and it very much like can depend on your actions within this these ten days. Um, so yeah, I think it's poignant to to raise this issue of alms giving, and um, I'd start by reading the quote if that's okay. Yeah, that, by all um, means, yeah. That started off this for me as well. I mean, obviously beforehand think we all know as believers that charity is a good act but really how the word highlights it so much is amazing I didn't realize until recently um so Deuteronomy 15 11 says for they will never cease to be poor in the land therefore I command you you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land so I think when I read that at the time when I did the study I was like Wow, it's actually like commanded because I'm always when I'm going through the Torah cycle, again because I reach a certain point, it's like okay, what's the next? You know, like what can I see in the Torah that I've missed before? Right. That's kind of how I view the studying, as like there's another commandment that oh I didn't realize and I got to you know adhere to that. So I was like, wow, here's a commandment given, you know, and it's not just that you should be generous to people of your own citizenship. Right. Even though that's the first thing mentioned, it's to the poor in your land, you know. And it's interesting that this is a commandment and we know that the breaking of a commandment is a sin. Right. So it's what I saw in this is actually saying if you don't open your hand to the needy and the poor, you're sinning. Because <laughs> like in 1 John 3, 4, it says whoever commits sin transgresses also the Torah. So like sin is transgression of the Torah. Um. But then, like, I just want to spend a moment going through some of these quotes just because I could speak all day, but, like... Before you do, I yeah. just want to touch on, like, your opening uh, statement with regards to the time of the 10 days of war. Mm. And I think what's pertinent is that as we go through this time of self-reflection, and mm. um, we can get to... S- we, we start to see more of the ugly, uh, the more of the dross. And I think particularly when it comes to, like, our selfish nature... Um, a lot of selfishness can come to the uh, come to the fore, and I think there's 
I think what I'm seeing is grace in this because he gives us the opportunity and this isn't about works based anything it's mm. like the best remedy to come out of yourself is to start giving and to start serving others um so I, I think this in this season in the, the 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 best remedy before we get into this is just consider that if you are in a point of um you know self-reflection and you are seeing the things that aren't uh, so good about yourself uh, whether it's fleshly whether it's sinful um, I, I personally would lean towards like what what can I do that's actually of more of service how can I give more of myself in this season so that um, I'm not actually concentrating on myself as much so I think it's particularly pertinent that you, you you're touching on that mm. but sorry I, I didn't mean to disturb you Flo, no no like absolutely like um, I think that's the whole idea that we reflect on the whole previous you know year or months or whatever and then we see our shortcomings and obviously we know it's a time of repentance but i think the point that they're making is that like the almighty is looking at you not only to see your repentance and, and sorrow for our wrongdoing but show me by your actions what are you doing what are you, you are do sorry it? you know yeah. it's no good saying sorry and then yeah. carry on doing the same thing yeah. i want to say sorry and see a change see a teshuva turning around you know, so, okay, show me in these 10 days how you're going to be better. Show me, you know, and then, okay, I'll go, okay, this person is legitimately um, repented, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they're not just come to me and um, given me lip service and told me they're sorry, and uh, but I don't see any actions. I love it. It's like and being prayerful about it. Oh, Lord, create in me a clean heart. So... Uh, again for those who, who might be uh, more fleshly minded it's not like right for 10 days i'm gonna go and stand on the streets and give out food it's like no ask that your heart be changed that your behaviors your patterns make and can oh, i've done it again where i start talking about things on a podcast that i'm actually gonna have to start implicating myself <laughs> but yeah it's it's um it's i think it's asking for a change of heart for him to to to, mm. to change the heart um that's just yeah how i'd approach that maybe yeah, definitely. I mean, we're not just, it's not the point is not to say oh, for the next 10 days I'm going to do this. The point is you're you're making a start. You know, you're right. going, okay, this is now what I'm going to try and pursue and you're starting and then the hope is that you will then continue in that because he just give, he's, given, he's given ordained a time for it, you know, for repentance. So it's obviously like if you generally do it, he will then aid you through his spirit to then continue in that if you're sincere. Um so yeah, I do believe that. Yeah, obviously it's not just like a fad, like like New Year's resolutions. You know? <laughs> no. But again, that's the, the, I think we're in the season, and I think it's important that we celebrate and highlight what the Moed do and what their the purpose is for is to be in rhythm, is to be mm. in conjunction with His will. There is protocol. There is uh, there is an established order in terms of uh, the the stars in the sky, the movement of of the Maseroth, the 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 movement of the body of Christ. It's like there are times and seasons that are ordained for certain uh, principles. And I, I think we'd be really naive uh, to not actually uh, take these principles and, and incorporate them into our walks prayerfully. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, the, it's, the, it's a great, I think this is great timing, absolutely mm. great timing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, it's like make the most of the time. There's a season for everything. I mean, it says that in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? There's a time for this, time for that. When you're in that time, it's like you're empowered more for that. And you can right. even argue that New Year's resolutions don't work because 
it's not the right time for it, you know, like you haven't got that spiritual power, you know, power up, like boost, you know. Well, Uh, well, definitely. I mean, if you take that in terms of a a season of gluttony where you've just been, you know, feeding your flesh and then all mm. of a sudden you're going, well, I'm going to make these dedications. Whereas on God's calendar, it's like, no, restrict, afflict yourself, humble yourself, and mm. then you'll be empowered to make a change or like you can just see the, the, the flip reverse there. Mm. Um, and just on a side note, but it's it's for me it's cushioned with Sukkot afterwards because it, again it's like there's a time and a season. Um, so yeah, get, get in the rhythm of things. It's an interesting point as well because like uh, it just highlights the the opposite nature because you know, we go through a time of hardship and affliction and fasting and and self discipline and then we have a time of rejoicing. Whereas right. The secular world goes through a time of great gluttony and feasting and enjoyment, and then they do like the trying to have great some self discipline yeah, yeah. or something afterwards, and it's kind of flip reversed. Um, I also kind of um, think of it as like a kind of uh, picture of the bigger picture, like the bigger journey in the sense that we go through, you know, the narrow and straight path, the time that's difficult. We face persecution, we face tribulation, we face the diversity of the enemy. And then we're going to go into a wide right. open place of the millennial reign. We're going to have joy and we're going to have peace. Hallelujah. And so it's Got kind you. of like a picture of that in a way, I think, which is uh, which is beautiful. No, that's, that's lovely. And sorry, yeah, Carrie. <laughs> Let the spirit say what it wants to say. But anyway, yeah, carry on. Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, I'll just go through a few of these because I think it's important to, to show the fullness of that it seems to be like, um, the gravity of not doing the commandment, but also the blessing of doing the commandment. So like in Psalm 41.1, it said, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Um, and there's a few quotes like that. It also says, um, Proverbs 19.17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he mm. will repay him for his deed. And I was just blown away like that. I was like, "What? how do I understand that? Like, literally, if you're lending to the poor, it's like you're lending to the Lord. It's like, well, it must be that his heart is so much for the poor that he's like, you know how, like, the contrite and humble spirit, he hears the prayer more. He's close to the brokenhearted. So the poor are often brokenhearted, often humble and contrite. Often many of them I speak to, they actually believe in God. They're actually open right. much more than the average person to yep. receive yep. ministering to. And so it's almost like he is more for them than the average person. And so if you're going to like spite them and you're going to you know, be nasty to them, you're almost doing that to him. And if you're being loving towards them and giving to them, it's almost like you're doing that to him. Definitely. It's, um you 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 you're taking me to you, I don't know if you've you've got that in your notes but um we've just uh, done the um it just made me consider the the good Samaritan you know those mm. that have, you, you know you fed me you watered me what you've done to the least them you've done unto me it's like I, I think we can we can potentially over I don't know potentially over spiritualize our our relationship with with Yeshua in a sense that I'm looking for this ethereal experiential um otherworldly uh thing which right you know not get negating that but when Yeshua is saying look here's the poor here's the afflicted here's the needy uh, I've told you to to look after the widow and the orphan because that in in James 1 pertains to a pure religion 
<laughs> he's talking about a pure religion. Look after the, the widow and the orphan. And then he says, because you're doing it to me. I, I think what greater opportunity um, to serve Yeshua and serve our master, uh, as you said, to, 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 to serve those that, that need it the most, the, the, the poor, the needy. So, um, yeah, he said it himself that uh, we, we're doing it. We're doing it for him, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm i glad you raised the point of like widows and orphans because um, obviously like you quoted James and that was one of my notes as well. And it's like, when I think about that, it's like, you know, it's very well it being said then, but now it's like, well, where are the widows and the orphans? Right. You know, um, we don't have orphanages. And um, when you actually look at it, it was because it was a different society where you would have, you know, the men working and providing for their households. So when someone become widowed and with children, they don't have a financial provider, so they are in need of that. And the, um, there was actually, uh, I couldn't find a quote for this, I think it's um, from like other historical sources like Josephus and other books, but it talks about the temple you know, the, like the money there would also be used to um, support certain widows and orphans. Right. And there is um biblical reference in 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 14, which talks about financial support given to widows from their assembly. Right. Um, and obviously like vetting that so that it's not just going to women that are being busybodies and so forth. But there was obviously a system in place like they had in uh, Israel where um, ties that were given and so forth will go to support these people. So it's like, like how do we then try and apply that now, obviously, because we don't have quite the same situation in our culture with widows and orphans. So then it's, it's like basically those people who are financially in need. And what, what strikes me about this is that I know that it seems like a good thing in the Western, the first world, you know, that we have like things like benefits and government support. But essentially the way I view it now is that they are taking the place that the church should be. Right. The church should be the ones ministering to those poor and needy. And in so doing, they draw people to salvation. Right. And they also bring glory upon their father to the whole country by what they're doing. And yet we've replaced that rather than the church doing that or rather than believers doing that, we're just letting the government do that. And I think that's kind of like we're missing an opportunity. We're missing an opportunity to show what our faith really is. It's not just a bunch of words and preaching at people. It's actually doing actions. Um the benefit people. So that's one thing that I think about that. But um, I, 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 even on that point, I think that's a, that's a massive, um, a massive insight into the state of uh, play in in the modern age. In the sense that when you said about what is an orphan in a modern context, you know, we don't have these Oliver Twist poor houses anymore. But we we do have a generation of fatherless fatherlessness. Mm. Um, those who don't have parental guidance whether it be in the physical but particularly in the spiritual where the family's been denigrated, the family unit has been attacked, uh, masculinity's been taken out of the equation, fatherhood is something which so many uh, children are craving, mm-hmm. whereby the church, um, I guess historically, would be more community-based. You know, you'd have um, parishes, you'd have uh, these little enclaves of, of how the, the church would be operating within 
uh, within a community. And that's not to say it's completely diminished at this point, but I think it does. Um, I think, particularly from a messianic perspective, if we're going to be really real about this, it's like we can talk about the Torah, we can talk about the the studiousness and mm. and all of these things. But what is actually the practical application of what we can do as a as a messianic congregation? How we see the vision of that in the future? Because um, yeah, I don't really, I don't want to fall into the realms of hypocrisy, and um, I think they're. <laughs> again if you if you're getting into the 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 the, the essence of torah it the, the, it says that we're it's not good enough to just learn it we mm. have to walk it out we have to do these things and um so I, I think it's really important that we we take this generationally as as, as a messianic um uh, branch within within christianity as it were how can we start adopting these principles and start developing ourselves um, to be able to be more of a service to, to those that need it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much in what you just said that I would like to touch on. I mean, one point you touched on is that even the commission as messianic believers is more poignant because we are not just, um, say, I, I love my Christian brothers and sisters, you know, but we are not just Christians. We have more of the fullness of understanding. So but by us doing good acts and bringing glory upon our Father, it's actually drawing people further into truth and, and highlighting that this is the right way, you know? Mm. So I think that that's an important thing, not just to also leave this to Christian organizations. Um, even saying that I don't mind partnering with them, I don't mind these things, but, you know, we are... Um, to be like to the nation so to draw people to the to the very truth you know and this often can work that way and yes what you said about like study and then application like i think there's a season you know as you come into this um where you have to study you have to uh just go in a room and lock yourself in there you know yeah um because you need to read the manual and how to do this but there comes a point where we can get stuck in that point of going over and over just studying and um, when we're meant to start applying um, what we're studying and also not just being kind of like self-righteous, like I'm going to be over here in my holy club and, you know, <laughs> forget the rest of the world. And it's like, you're missing the whole point of this. We are to reach a level of holiness in order to help other people to reach that level of holiness or we receive the gospel so that we can give the gospel. He doesn't bring salvation to any individual just to save that person. This is what I've learned. He mm. didn't just heal me of depression so I could be happy and rejoice for the rest of my life mm. that I'm free from depression. He brought me out of that so I could bring other people out of that. You know, it's a domino effect. Like he picked Paul, not just because, oh, yeah, he's good to save. You know, I want to save him. No, he picked Paul because he knew he was a powerful weapon to save hundreds of thousands of other people. Mm. And he's still doing that to this day through his writings. And he picks individuals. And that's not to say that he doesn't care about every single one. But he picks you know, people to use and, and to bear more fruit. And this is also, you talk about the pruning, you know, he prunes us to bear more fruit. He wants us just to bear the most fruit we can. And it, that just depends on how willing we are to be fully focused on the things of the kingdom. And very often, again, this is a whole other topic, but we can have so many distractions coming at us more in this generation like than any other time probably since before the deluge, okay, right. that are coming at us to keep us 
from reading the word to keep us from praying because that will then lead us if we're fully committed in that to like we're saying being convicted that I need to be applying this you know being convicted like um, this is very much what I'm just sharing what I've been convicted of you know I've been convicted of that and I'll read some more of the quotes just to bring that conviction home in a minute but like I've been convicted that like literally if I walk past a homeless person that's asking for my help I can't do that and be okay with my conscience right I can't do that and be okay as if I am following my father that is not what I should be doing and I guess um you know also says that him that knows to do good and doesn't do it it's a sin to him so there might be you know, younger believers, he's not yet brought that conviction on so that they can be prepared to do that. But I guess, like, if someone's watching this podcast, they're going to receive that conviction, you know, um, from the hearing of the word. So it's just a case of don't, um, if he's convicting you of something, we have to, we have to listen, really. Otherwise, we don't, we don't progress and we just backslide. Um Yes, yeah, so one of the very convicting quotes was um, 1 John 3, 17, 18. It says, um, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And again, this is just what we've been talking about, application. Mm. You know, how can we say that we have God's love in us and we're closing our hearts to our brother? And some people say, oh, our brother, so that just means like people in the faith or that just means people of our own ethnicity. Um, but there are other quotes, like I mentioned that one, the poor in your land. You know, if he's in the same land as us and he's poorer, then we have a duty to um, to care for them. And even you could say, I, mean, I know that this is a whole thing as well, unfortunately, in this country, in some areas where they're like, uh, Eastern Europeans are here. You know, um, people immigrate to this country, obviously, because we have more of a... First, we have a better welfare system, but not really because of that. I spoke to, like, Romanians and things, and uh, people in this country have more compassion, right. generally. Right, like, in their home right. country, they won't receive... They can sit there all day long, people won't help them. Right. They come here because we have more compassion, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Like we're we're built on Christian principles in this country, and that is what is any good in you know. Th- rather than not to say Eastern European countries aren't they, they are, but um, but yeah, somehow the British can be more compassionate. Yeah. But sorry, no, it, it. I think there's that um, again. There's that uh, tarnishing of. Um, I, I guess this is a byproduct of kind of the Western. American evangelical Trumpist like I'm a Christian so I d- I'm I don't like immigration I, I I don't I don't like asylum seat I don't like the book like I think there's been a massive tarnishing when it comes to the the right side of, of Christianity in that sense where like you say I think because of the values that are uh, intrinsically uh, throughout uh, this country um, which we may well be losing in terms of generational mm-hmm. um, uh, viewing of how we treat others who who are in need, because uh, a system that um, uh, helps those that are less fortunate or in need is is so biblical. It, it's got nothing to do with welfare states. It's got nothing to do with socialist principles. It's actually really biblical to to like you say, uh, dip your hands in your pocket or do whatever you can to help those. So I think it's. Um, 
I think you make a really excellent point there that it's uh, there are some values that are intrinsic to this nation which are absolutely amazing. It's got nothing to do with uh, people taking advantage of of what they see as a you know a, a, a golden pot at the end of an imaginary rainbow. Mm. Yeah, and unfortunately, people can close their hearts to people because of that. And I think as well as like people who spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, we should realize that. I don't have these quotes to hand, but I know that they're there about, you know, we were once foreigners and strangers in Egypt, you know. Right. And if we're identifying as Israel, that's part of our history. And it says, you know, be kind to the stranger and the foreigner because you were once strangers and foreigners in a foreign country, and now they're strangers and foreigners in a foreign country. So in actual fact, the Torah is emphasizing love and compassion to those that are not um citizens of your country and have come here because of hardship or because of whatever reason they're here so i think um you know and obviously i do understand the principle of we need to help our own countrymen as well you know some people kind of come from that perspective or you know everyone's so eager to help immigrants but there's our own poor and you know i'm not saying don't help our own poor you know but like don't why should we limit our compassion or our generosity to just a certain section of the poor people? Um, yes, help those, especially, you know, that have fought in our, our army and should be taken care of by the country because they fought for the country and whatever things, you know, do that. But also don't just, um, if someone's Eastern European or African or whatever, don't turn your back to them because of that. Because if anything the Bible says we should be more compassionate because they're a foreigner. And even in the case of not being a poor person, you know, like a foreigner at your workplace, a foreigner wherever, like we should be welcoming them. Yeah. You know? You've made, you, I think there's there's two real like important points. I think when you have a nation that comes away from Torah, whether knowingly or unknowingly, so a, a nation that is keeping Torah is, is organized, it's regulating its borders, it's fortifying its walls, it's it's uh it's functioning as it should do. Mm-hmm. Um that's that's really important. But obviously we see nations coming away from that, so that's when it gets fractious and you get more sort of left leaning ideologies overspill into government and, and, and such like. But that's a whole different thing. Um when you talk about ethnicity and, and, and differences and cultures, it's like it just takes me to the Good Samaritan. That that I mean, the Samaritan. It you know, it just evokes that sense of uh, oh, shops and second. No, like that's a that's a nation. That's a that's a people, and that whole um, story completely. This is why this is why Yeshua is so important because creed, culture, color, like it just gets blown out of the water. It's like irrespective of anybody's background or or. Um, ethnicity nationality shape size whatever it's just mm. there's always a, a biblical uh, citation to say no that that's so yeah for me when it comes to to that it i you can't see color or creed or anything when it comes to yeah arms giving it's yeah it's, I, I just think it's a no-brainer but obviously in today's culture it's it's easy to get get wrapped up yeah, it's interesting, like, obviously, we're saying biblical principles don't allow for that kind of discrimination, but it's unfortunate that there are people, you know, f- claiming to follow God that do 
be very loud about discrimination <laughs> and proud about discrimination. <laughs> and it's like, puts us all as if we're all the same boat and like, sorry, I'm not on the same boat as that person. <laughs> you know, that person is not following the Bible. Um, but yeah, no, of course. And it's like as well, you know, they're coming to this country and they're becoming part of it. It's not like they're, you know, leeching off of us and taking it somewhere else or whatever. A lot of people coming here and are like becoming... British citizen or a part of it, you know, and that's what it would be like, I suppose, with Israel, a foreigner would come and yeah. they would, like, Ruth, you know, your people be my people, and yeah. then we should accept them, and we did. And and it was accepted so much that she was in, she was genealogy, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, no, definitely it's, it's a word against that. So just do not discriminate in our kindness and our generosity. Um, but I also want to touch on something you were mentioning earlier, which I thought was really interesting and something that should be highlighted because obviously we talk about ministering to the poor and we immediately think like money we think right. finances you know um but that's not like as you mentioned about like orphans say we're talking about widows and orphans we can also talk about the emotional spiritual needs of these people that are in these bad situations you know, very often they're coupled together, you know, financial distress, emotional distress. There's been breaking of relationships. There's a whole story where that person's reached that place, you right. know. Um, it's very rarely just because they're born into that status. You know, there's a lot happened in those people's lives. So, you know, it can be. And also I know that there's a um, one of the things, in a minute I'll, I'll deal with some quote, but, you know, one of the reasons why we can harden our heart is... Because we think, oh, you know, if I if I give money to this person, they're going to just dig a, a deeper pit for themselves by right. going and buying drugs, going and buying alcohol. And I understand that concern um, and how we how we wrestle with that and still for, for, fulfill what we're being asked to do is a, a bit of a a difficulty sometimes. But I think one thing: this, you know, you can minister to someone that's poor and not necessarily give them money. You know, you evaluate a situation like also like spending your time mm-hmm. even to someone is 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 as precious as spending your money to someone some of the time. You know, like the appreciation of the time because I, I think it's I've come to understand that it's a similar principle. Like this is why people don't like people trying to sell them things. Don't like people stopping them to talk about something in the street because people's time is precious. Right. They value their time. Yep. You know, they want to spend their time on their game, on spending their time how they want to because they know that time is precious. We spend so much time having to earn money and having to do certain things. That what time we do have is like our possession. Right. We won't let people take it from us, you know? Yep. But again, if we look at the ministry of Yeshua, of, of Yeshua, of Jesus, we see that he was continually, you know, being stopped by people and asked to help. And he... It's never recorded once that he said, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm too tired. I'm sorry, I don't feel like it today. And that's one thing as well, like, that struck me as, you know, the Almighty in the heavens is continually being bombarded by people asking him things, asking yeah. for help. You know, but to him, he gave me a revelation recently. Uh, like, it's it's like, a, it's like a joy. You know, like when someone asks us for help, it's very often like, oh, Someone needs me. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Someone yeah. needs me. I don't, can I just, you know, ignore them, you know? But, like, he showed me that his heart is, like, yes, yeah, someone's come to me. How can I help you today? What can I do for you? It's 
it's like the opposite, like speaking earlier, the selfish nature is the opposite. He is the yeah. opposite. And it's almost like he, we have to be rewired. He has to retrain us. And that's putting on the mind of Messiah. It's ultimately rewiring our brain from the selfish, fallen creatures that we are into like his way of thinking. And I think I'm sidetracking a lot here, I know, but his way of thinking is like someone comes to me and it's a joy. And that's what I'm beginning. The more I implement this, principles is like there's a homeless person I don't even have to be walking past them and them ask me for help for me to actually help them I'm like there's a homeless person this is an opportunity for me to do a good thing right let me go over there and ask you if they need something but that's not to boast or anything but it's just like he can rewire us in that way and it's it's, it's good to know that um but as far as spending our time that was my original point <coughs> So, like, even if we don't think it's a good idea to give that person money, we can go over to them. We can ask them how they're doing. Very often they start to open up because they don't have many friends. They're in a situation where they're they're very um, very alone in a lot of these things, you know? Very often if they are, have had drugs and they've had drink, they've broken relationships with family. They've broken relationships with wife, with children, you know? And we should be there then to go... Let's talk about this and let me pray for you. Mm-hmm. Lee, let me pray for you to receive the healing that you need. Very often they're open towards that, you know, so that can be one thing. And then, you know, offering to buy them food, drink, is there anything you need? Do you need clothes? You know, those sort of things. There's always a way, but also sometimes that emotional, spiritual ministering to someone can be more powerful than um, just giving them two pounds and walking away. Definitely. You know? um, and I, I think at the heart of that, I think that's a, uh, that's a really important point you're making there. And I, I think at the heart of that is, is loving people. And if you're not in that position where you have a genuine feel or depth in your heart or capacity for people, um, pray that the Lord changes your heart, that you actually start to love people and you want to talk to them. You want to hear somebody's story. You want to share your time with them. Because I think, uh, again, speaking from my own experience, where you can put yourself under this um, evangelical pressure of I have to give somebody the gospel every time I, I speak to somebody who I don't know. And if I don't, they're going to hell. Like, that's not how it works. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're led to give somebody the God, do it. Like, mm. that, right, that's valid. But yeah. the point being, as you said, if you love somebody enough to give them your time to just share, ask them about their day, ask them what's up, and then before you know it, the Lord will open a door, like you say, where it's, I can pray for you, or, you know, I, I'm a, I actually believe in Jesus. That, like, you'd be amazed at just, like, forget all of the evangelical witness stuff, mm-hmm. love the person, be there, give them the time, and then, the Lord will tend to open the door up for that spiritual need and that conversation to take place. Because otherwise it can be a bit of a um, a slot machine of like, if I do this and do this and do this, then I'm a good boy. It's like, no. Uh, and again, it, I think it comes back to that point of like, pray that your heart be changed so that you have that genuine desire. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you get th- this, is, this is such a great topic. But I, I can go and work for Bernardo's. I can go and work in the charity shops. I can go do the charity. I can go and run marathons. But is is my heart really in a posture that's like serving 
serving God in the way that he wants me or, or or am I just fulfilling something in a way that I think is a tick box exercise and I'm going to be in God's good books if I do x y and z it's like no so but again uh self-reflectively and my recommendation to anybody listening is prayerfully approach this and say Lord please give me a heart where I, I, I genuinely desire to talk to strangers that I, I, I want to uplift people and, and use my gifts in any way to, to serve my community and um let let the spirit do the work because um we don't want to be doing these things in our own strength because you can get yourself in a bit of a bit of a pickle i think mm. yeah i mean great point like um basically what paul said you can give your body to burn you can give all you have to the poor but if you have not love it's all for nothing wow. yeah it's all just a clanging noise to the almighty and yeah you can become legalistic about just doing it you know, um, or doing like you say to just be in God's good book, and that's um, that's not what He calls for. I also want to come like this from different angles because we're talking about like, you know, praying for a homeless person, we're talking about talking to them. Obviously, these things require breaking the ice. They require a certain amount of courage. They require, you know, and a lot of people may not even feel comfortable praying out loud. You know, they may only pray in their prayer closet. Um, you know, so I think it's important to approach this from every angle, like what is inhibiting you. So we can give, you know, reasons why this this needs to be done. We can give reasons that this is in the Torah. Um, if you're a Torah observant, you know, or even if you believe that God's word is true, it tells us to not close our heart to the poor. Um, you can look at it from the blessings, you know, that if you um, if you do this, you will be blessed, mm -hmm. which I want to touch more in a minute. You come at this from the angle of, um, yeah, I, I'm just going to go to Isaiah now because I think this will best explain it if I read this quote first. It says, Isaiah, I think it's 58 I put here, um, verse 6 to 8. Is this not the fast that I choose? This is obviously the Almighty speaking. So this is, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see him naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So I just made a note here, and this is, I think, what I want to go into in the minute. You know, have we ever considered that this is what is hindering your healing? You know, if there's people listening to this that haven't received healing, you know, they prayed and they fasted. Well, what about this? Mm. Have we shared our bread with the hungry? Or have we hid ourselves from that person that's asking for our help? You know, if someone feels in darkness, you know, do you feel in darkness because you're not doing this? You're not giving your bread to the hungry. You're not, you know, loosing the bonds of the of the wickedness. And and you know, it's like because it says if you do this, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. 
and your healing shall spring up speedily. So it's literally saying, do these things and you will receive healing. Do these things and you will walk in the light and not the darkness. And I know there's so many things that are, you know, we could talk about that are related to healing and related to being in spiritual light. And a lot of them are other topics, but, you know, this is highlighting this topic. So you could say that, you know, this is something that we really need to consider um, like it, to motivate people, I suppose, to to doing these deeds. Um, yeah, and how easy it is as well for people to, like it says here, you know, to, to hide yourself. To, like we said, when someone needs you. It doesn't even have to be, you know, a homeless person sitting on the street. It could be your friend that's calling you saying, I've just had a breakup. Can you please talk to me? Can you please encourage me? And you're like, I don't feel like it. Mm. I don't feel like it. I'd rather just, you know, I don't know, go on my Xbox. And there's many situations like that. It's the same principle. Um, you know, are we hiding ourselves from people who need us? You know, do we? are we hiding ourselves from people who need us because we don't think we can help them, mm. you know? We don't think we have the ability to to pray for that homeless person. We don't think we have the ability to loose the bonds of wickedness or undo the straps of the yoke or let the oppressed go free or to break every yoke. We don't think we have the ability, so I'm just going to step down from this and let someone else do that. That's a very dangerous thing because if we all do that, nothing ever happens. Right. If we all just go... This is not a job for me. This is a job for the 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 minister. This is a job for the person who's a prayer warrior. This is a job for the person who's so much more um, courageous than I am. Then nothing will ever change, and those people will not receive the help. We can't, you know, if if God's put something in our path, that's our responsibility. That's our calling. That person you're walking past, that is your. You know, there may be a thousand other believers that won't have that opportunity that you have. You could look at it that way. Right, yeah. You know, they won't have that opportunity you have. And you're given that opportunity. And I think sometimes the Father's even testing us, you know. I'm giving you this opportunity. Are you going to take the opportunity or are you going to pass by the opportunity? It's the same kind of thing with evangelism a lot of the time. He opens a door. Are you going to go through it and do it or are you not? If you're not, well, then, okay, you know, I'm going to have to try and give someone else those responsibilities. But the truth is that that was your responsibility. And Right. You've got, and I, I believe just in that anecdotally, I, I think you've got, um, you've got arguably a, a sense of Jonahism in that you, you're willingly running away or you're... Um, you're not being sensitive to the spirit. So in the sense that you could be missing these opportunities, but you're being blindsided. You're not You're not maybe necessarily making a conscientious decision to say, no, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to do this. And You could just be in your own bubble. You could just be in your flesh or uh, distracted. Um, so again, I, I, I would recommend... Um, why, why am I recommending stuff? Because this is all self-inflicted. Um, it's it's um, asking the spirit to lead you every day and say look lord please show me what i'm meant to do make it clear please talk to me show me who i'm supposed to minister to 
And again, mm. he's he's not going to leave you in the dark and just let you uh, wander about. He he will prompt you and he will give you a clear indication of, of when you're meant to be doing stuff. He's, he, I don't think he deliberately tries to trip us up. So he goes, ah, oh, you failed that mission, didn't you? It's like, no, he's, he's, he's compassionate enough to say, look, have a go. This is this is the opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's very patient with us, you know, very patient. And he again and again will try and encourage you. And yeah, um, also a quote that came to me to send that, that, that to help me with this is the idea of storing up our treasures in heaven and realising through uh, teaching that I watched that every single good act we do is like a treasure mm. that's there in heaven. Like we take... We can we can accumulate cars and, and, and planes and houses and whatever we want, but we're going to take none of that with us. Mm-hmm. All of that is going to stay here. The only thing that we actually take with us is what we've done. Right. That's the only thing on Judgment Day. What have you done? What have you spoken? What words have you said? What actions have you done? Mm-hmm. Are they blessing? Are they cursing? Are they good? Are they bad? And each one of the blessings, each one of the good things that you've done will be a treasure, will count to you for good. And that will be, you know, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Mm. You know, we want to be that that faithful servant. And Amen. the more we bear fruit, the more we do, the more that, that gives us. So that's an angle of motivation. Like, you know, you will be rewarded for each one of these things, yeah. you know? Each one of these things doesn't go, um, does it doesn't get missed by him. He sees it all. And he even sees when we try to do something but fail that we we intended to do it. And I think that's the point where we then, obviously, like I say, we don't do this in our own power. We have to acknowledge that and we have to go back to our prayer closet and please give us that strength. You know, and it's kind of like, I feel like in this subject, the Bible, these quotes that I've got, there's almost like the carrot and the stick. You know, the carrot and the stick, the carrot and the stick. On one hand, you know, you can receive all these blessings. On the other hand, Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You know, that is just like heavy. And it's like the same thing that you're doing to that person when you're not helping them. The same thing that I'm going to do to you now wow. to show you what it feels like. Wow. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. And so we could talk about his mercy and his goodness, but there are principles and we don't want to be in a day of trouble and cry out to him and not receive help because we have failed to help other people when they've cried out to us. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, that's a good motivation when we think about that. Um, again, we've mentioned a lot of Torah and Old Testament, but it's, it's also a principle in the gospel, uh, a lot more than what I've written here. Um, but in Matthew five forty two, it says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So it's again, it's quite, um, it's almost like constraining us you know, constraining us that this is what you must do. It doesn't give a lot of wiggle room here. Right. It says literally, someone begs from you, give to them. Yeah, it, it doesn't say, right, what I want you to do is do a means test uh, assessment of this individual as to whether they're going to spend it on money, drugs, alcohol, 
um he he's it's a very clear directive and um i'm going to say something that might be i don't want this to be misconstrued but i think we need to understand the providence and the sovereignty of god in that i need to trust that if i do what he's told me to do and that is to give to the needy he'll take care of the rest so I've had this conversation in the past before where, say, for example, I give somebody on the street some money. I've done my bit. If they then choose to uh, get some alcohol or some heroin or whatever it is their their flavor is, I don't know what that action is leading to providentially, right? Is it taking somebody out of harm's way? Is that person going to go to a, a house or somewhere else to get what they need and then they'll be off the street, and who knows, they may have been stabbed, robbed, or whatever, on the street, right? And, and I, I can understand people go, oh, I don't know about this, but is there an element where I'm playing a part and a role in somebody's life where they may go further into rock bottom, they may, that we don't know the movements emotionally, spiritually, and physically that impact on a sequence of events, but because we made an assessment and said, well, no, you're just going to spend that on drugs, I mean, which we don't even know. I'm not saying go get drugs for people. I'm saying that just like, don't worry about that side of things because otherwise mm. we wouldn't do anything for anyone. Like really, truly, um, please don't, <laughs> please don't get that twisted. But I, that's how I try to look at that element. I don't, I don't, I need to just do what he tells me to do. And, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, take care of the rest I, I would hope i would hope yeah i mean there's definitely the element of you have to obey his word and trust that he he will use that for good you know yeah and we have to think here as well that's okay i mean the current situation with um recreational drugs may be um, particularly a problem now. But definitely if we speak about um, misuse of alcohol and addiction to alcohol, that's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. That would be there from, well, I could say, I could say from Gen- Genesis to Revelation that would be there, <laughs> to be honest with you, because, you know, yeah. it is. I mean, we see accounts of people getting drunk as early as Noah, mm-hmm. you know, Um is I mean, actually, you could argue that yeah. Some people argue that that um, drink wasn't intoxicating before then, but like before the deluge. But uh, definitely after the deluge to this point, mm-hmm. um, drink has always had the the ability to be misused and to create destruction of family and lead people to very um, desperate situations. So, the word doesn't give us a loophole out of it because they've got themselves there through drinking. Right, exactly. And like you said, you know, we obviously, as believers, don't condone those actions. We're not going to promote that behavior. We're not going to go and buy them cigarettes, Mm -hmm. buy them alcohol, you know, even buy them like sugar. I mean, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we only give them things that we believe will be beneficial to them. Yeah. And it's always a difficult thing with money. And like we touched on before, there are other ways. If you really look at someone and you think this person's high, this person's on drink, 
there are other ways of ministering to them, right. you know, that we can also do. Um, but it's it's just, uh, and you know, we can also be like, I'm being taken advantage of, you know, in situations like I mean, for instance, the second part of the the, the, the quote that I just read, we, we touched on, you know, we're talking about people begging, but also if someone asked to to borrow from you. Mm. You're to lend to them. Now, most of the kind of worldly mindset, and I know this was surrounded some of this one before I was born again, is like, don't let people take advantage of you. You know, you're a kind person, so like harden yourself. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And it's like that's not what that's not what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, it's difficult to to Make that balance again between going, okay, I'm going to fulfill this, but where are the boundaries? Um, and sometimes we just have to, we have to do it. It's like, you know, I had this one situation where this person was reaching out to me on Facebook. I don't really know him. I have him added there because he's a religious man. And, you know, he wants, um, he's saying he has difficulty with different things and he's asking me if I can lend him some money. Now, this is literally after a week of reading this. So this is in my mind, okay? You know, if someone wants to borrow from you, do not refuse them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I, this could be, you know, so I go, okay, how do I try and balance this? So I have a phone call with him. I try and ascertain, you know, his situation, why he's in this position, you know, so it's not just like a scam. Mm-hmm. So it's a real person. The real situation He's telling me all these things. I have no choice but to take his word for it. I could be taken advantage of in the situation. I could not be repaid. But the word is said, I've got to do it. So I do all of that. And then I go, okay, you know, I'll lend you this much money to help you get petrol and groceries and whatnot. And he says he'll pay me back at a certain point. Now, he was, he's in, well, this is what he told me anyway. I can't be 100% sure. Okay, he was in a job working for some um, of his family. They had debt problems, so they, um, you know, basically lost that job. And he was working for this other job. He was also studying, um, basically, to be a, a minister, so like a religious education, a training seminary, right? Yeah. Religious seminary to to train to be a pastor. So I got to talk to him about my beliefs, about Sabbath, about these things. He knew that I was doing this because of what the word says and, you know, all of those things. So I lent him the money. Um, He ended up not paying me back and asking me for more. I said, look, because you haven't paid me back, I can't be sure you'll pay me back anymore. So I'm going to leave it there. Uh, But the the thing is, a lot of people can say I got taken advantage of in that situation and kind of true. But kind of what was the seeds that I planted through that, you know? Because it's even like when you give someone money and they, you know, as long as they know you're doing this because of God's goodness, if they then go and spend that on alcohol or drugs, they're going to feel conviction mm-hmm. because you've given this to them in charity or the love of God. And, you've, right. you know, we have to make that clear when you're giving, you know, this is not just me being generous this is because i follow god's word yeah and then that plants a seed in that person's life because nine out of ten people aren't doing that nine out of ten people he asked for money weren't giving it to him right and we're doing this because of god's goodness so 
that in itself is like a powerful evangelism and some people will take that and still go ahead and maybe do wrong things but honestly a lot of people like I had this one uh experience even and this is a, a good lesson again about spending your time because some of us would just be like, oh I don't want to talk to you I don't know you but I was walking out of work and this was after a very, very long day with lots of different things happening at work okay and I'm walking out with my shopping and this guy's like oh it's a nice head covering and I'm like I turn around I'm like oh, thank you and I'm like it's it's so uh, I thought I may as well make a conversation it's because of my faith that I wear a head covering and then he got talking about different things ended up a whole conversation but basically he ended up telling me his life problems and his housing difficulties how he's been living with squatters how they've been abusive towards him how he's trying to get this other place you know um also he was going to church because of this woman that he was with but now he's not with her so he's trying to get better space and then I was just like do you need anything (laughs) (laughs) do you want (laughs) after that because I was like you know he seemed to have a bus pass to get to church so I didn't need to give him money for that I wasn't entirely convinced there wasn't any alcohol drugs there so I was like you know do you you want to buy you anything and he was like oh it would be so nice if I had a sandwich or something so I literally go back in get some food and drink for him give it to him and and he's just like so grateful and so much like ah, oh, I can see God's love in your your life and you know we end up praying together and I pray for him and he's just like the the joy in his face and just like how is I'm going to go to church now I'm going to get up early and I know we have we have issues with some of the teachings of sure. the church you know but it's ultimately I said to him like and this is what the mighty gave me to, it's like God is drawing you to himself you know and he's using that, and I also got to share a little bit about my faith. And again, this is why, as messianics, us doing this is potent because, you know, we can then draw people to the fullness of the truth through these works. You know, so all that to say, um, yeah, just to kind of open ourselves up to people, um, and like you said, be sensitive to the spirit. You know, the situations that's leading to us, and it's very often going to come at times where. We don't feel like it. And I think that's because the Almighty is kind of training us and testing us to die to the flesh and to live for him and in him. You know, so I think um, very often it's it's rarely a good time for someone to ask for your help. (laughs) There's rarely a time where you're like, oh, yeah, sure, I have plenty of free time and energy (laughs) and money to give to you right now. Let me help you. Yeah. It's usually like you're like, you know, but it's um, it's good to do this. And I, I just want to, if there's anything you want to touch on right now, I just want to go on to a little um, subject aside from that as well. So just to kind of like summarize this, I just want to touch upon the fact that the verses in Scripture have dealt with, you know, us um, not hiding ourselves from people and also not um, yeah this quote I didn't read actually Deuteronomy 15 7 8 when there is a poor man one of your brothers within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God is giving you do not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother for you shall certainly open to him and certainly lend enough for his need whatever he needs 
So I then began to like meditate upon like how it looks to harden our heart right. against someone. And these are some of the things that, you know, can go through our mind that, that like this is potentially what closing our heart or hardening our heart towards them looks like. It can be thoughts like he got himself into this predicament. Uh, like I touched on, I mustn't let myself be taken advantage of. Um, again, thoughts that he will just spend the money on gambling or drugs or drink. Um, another thought is that he's probably just faking poverty. He's probably got a house somewhere, you know, and he's just doing this because he doesn't want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so in all of that, we justify turning away from the poor in our mind. But the thing we have to ask is the justification for this in God's word. And all of those things, I believe, that come into our mind is our hardening of our hearts. And this is exactly what God tells us not to do. So rather, we should try and change the way we 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 treat and the attitude we have towards those that are in a worse position than ourselves. And not simply just say these things because it makes, justifies our way of uh, interacting with them. And it makes it seem like it's okay that we're not actually helping these people. Um, Sela, on that, um, uh, I I feel really, um, uh, yeah, I'm 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 convicted on what you brought, Hazel. I, I think <coughs> you've made some uh, incredible points. Um, and uh yeah I, I think part of the beauty of being able to uh take part in these conversations is that um i'd be i'd be a fool to not try and uh take these things on in in my own personal walk uh as ever when we have these conversations it's for ultimately uh the encouragement and the edification to those who take the time to um uh, to watch and and to listen um uh, I really hope that uh, the Spirit speaks to any of those that listens to this uh, this podcast and it gives you the encouragement, the boldness, the courage, wh- whatever ingredient it is that you feel is missing from this this walk, uh, uh, that, that you're uh, not, uh, you know, you're insufficient in. I, I pray that this gives you that uh, other dimension. Um, I, I feel really um, the, the scripture you brought about... Um, um what was it the uh sorry my mind's gone blank the scripture you brought about um when you when you're when you're quiet towards somebody and then the the lord's quiet towards you you know because so many mm. people say i don't feel like god's talking he's not talking to me he's not listening mm. it's like okay gosh is that is that the um is that the formula then that was it the pertinent one about the healing uh mm. uh I have to cap this, but that element of how um, this area can can bring healing for an individual, that's definitely something to pray and meditate on. Um, But um, Hazel, I just want to thank you for everything you brought. Um, It's been a a real pleasure. Um, Again, thanks to anybody that tuned in. Thanks for your comments, likes, and all of that stuff. Um, We hope that this blesses you. Uh, From our house to yours, this has been The Upper Room. Um, 
Hazel, if you'd be so kind, if you'd like to lead us out in some prayer, uh, if you feel led, that would be much appreciated. Sure. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, Abba Father, we just um, we give you thanks and praise for um, your word. We give you thanks and praise for conviction. We give you thanks and praise for using us as vessels this evening, Father, to highlight um, certain topics. Father, we thank you for everyone that's listened to this video, Father. We pray that you come into their hearts and their lives even more abundantly and even more um, with overflowing love, Father, that we could walk in your love, that your love would abide in our hearts and that you would lead us to to do good actions and to live out and apply your word to our lives. We pray for you to encourage those that are, that are feeble-hearted, Father, or have difficulty, that you strengthen. Father, anyone with any intention to do good, that you would enable them and empower them through the power of your Holy Spirit to, to do that good things which are in their heart to do. I pray you give a great empowerment in this season, this time for your sons and your daughters to step up, to repent of our previous way of thinking, of our previous way of living, and to start following your standard, uh, not this world's standard, Father. Forgive us for following the world's standard and please help us to, to follow your standard, to follow your word. And I pray that people would, would, uh, would, would listen to people when they cry out, um, and that they'd be blessed by you hearing them when they cry out to you. For Father, I pray that they would give their bread to the hungry and help those that are naked by clothing them. Father, that you may cause them to walk in light and to receive healing from anything, Father, anyone that's having any um, hindrances to their healing because of this, Father, I pray that you just help them to do that um, which they need to do. And so that they would receive um, blessing and that they would lend to the poor. And so doing the lending to you, Adonai, and that they would just receive the blessings that you have for them, Father. I pray against the powers and forces of darkness trying to hinder the good works of your children. We pray that every uh, principality of darkness is bound in the name of Yahshua HaMashiach and Jesus Christ. We pray that every... Um, evil and wicked thing over people's lives that has a hold of them is um, bound and that they are freed and loosed to be able to do your will we thank you for where your spirit is there is freedom father we just pray your spirit go into the homes of everyone listening your spirit just um just permeate their atmosphere just cover them just wash them in your word and in your presence father and ultimately empower all of us to live up to the standard that you have given us in your word we thank you and we bless you in Yahshua's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.